2: Well, good day, listener. This is Matt Tebbi. You're listening to the Gravity Podcast, joined as always by my friends in this co-labor of love, Christy Penley from Colorado Springs. Hello, Christy.
4: Ooh, hello.
2: Is it snowing there yet?
4: Uh, it did yesterday. And It then snows it, on the ground.
2: Is it still there or did it melt?
4: It is still there because it's only like 25 degrees today, but I Ooh. think it'll melt. And uh, and the, sun com- the sun's already out.
2: Great. Well, you can always count on that. At least 350 times out of 365 times a year or something. That's so true. <laughs> so true. And Ben Sternke from his uh, new house.
3: Hello, Ben. New, ha- new house. New house. Who this? Is that what kids say? <laughs> That's know.
2: what the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh,
3: the, I'm, the listener so hip. I'm so hip. so <laughs> listener doesn't realize how hip you are.
2: Also, yeah. uh, Ben, am I, do I have this right? You bought this house because it was a better house to podcast in?
3: That, that's it. That was the sole reason. I was like, how can I organize my life around this podcast that I do? Yeah. Uh, no, not not for that reason. I actually still need to run an Ethernet cable to improve my internet connection in the room that I use to podcast. So, But it's sufficient, I think, for today.
2: Yeah. If I had a nickel sufficient every time for you
3: encourage me
2: to run an Ethernet cable to my laptop, not I could dollar. probably pay for someone to do that for
3: you. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you'd only have a dollar. Is that That's, it? Just a dollar? Yeah, I mean, I probably only told you just that 20, 20 times. times. 20 times. <laughs> I, you'd have a dollar and that would not be enough to pay somebody to run well, that I'd, cable. I'd so buy you a lollipop. Yeah, thank you.
2: Um, hey guys, uh, we're going to do a new segment on our podcast. For those who've been listening for a while, we're going to start out with sharing personal stories, news stories, or recommendations that we have from the past week because we've got lots of opinions and lots of things happen to us, you know? Collectively, <laughs> we're parenting about, I don't know, three dozen people, and there's uh-huh. uh just a lot going on. So I wanted to share a personal story today. I had to get a physical a few months ago for like life insurance, health insurance reasons. And for some reason, you know, they tested my blood for tuberculosis. <laughs> and C B. For or TB, as the kids call it, uh, yeah. if you're from the 19th century, and you're listening. Consumption, <laughs>
3: consumption, uh, and That's it what came Doc back.
2: Holiday died from so. it. Came back positive, which was That's a big deal. Which was bonkers because good. I I got the vaccine for TB, like most of us did who are listening, and uh, I don't have any symptoms, i.e., I'm not coughing up blood or dead. And so <laughs> I went in. I went in for chest X-ray because they're like let's see let's see if this is active in your system, and the chest x-ray came back negative. And so throughout this entire ordeal, I've found out that um, a lot of us have TB in our system that is latent or asymptomatic. And for ninety percent of us who have that, nothing ever happens. It just kind of hangs out in your body, right? Not doing any damage. But for 10% of the people with latent or asymptomatic TB, uh, it comes online and you actually get it, right? So the Fishers, my, my hometown, uh, my, well, the town I live in, Fishers Health Department called me and they were like, hey, we want to put you on antibiotics to take care of this TB. And I was like, I don't really want to. Like, what does that entail? And she was like, well, it's free. The state pays for it and it's just
3: four months <laughs> of antibiotics.
4: Four, only four short months. months only four months <laughs> I mean, that long
3: scrim- in, the, in the grand scheme of things what's four months of antibiotics? well
2: when you get to be my yes. age ben you don't know I, i'm on a ticking clock i'm term yeah, i'm knows. terminal
3: yeah i mean uh, as we all well, are ho- hopefully a little less terminal after these antibiotics <laughs>
4: i'm i'm curious if you're on <laughs> antibiotics for four months will you get the common cold this winter
2: so this is what i don't understand like mm. i kind of think of and maybe a doctor who's listening or uh you know one of those uh, virologists is that what they're called if you if you work for the did cdc did you make up that word hit made, us made up that word.
4: i think that's real virologist virologist
3: it's a it's I'm, a person who so studies viruses no i okay. think
4: my brain
2: you could just have made grabs up the things. word
3: and it could be a real word yeah okay okay
2: well, well my point is i don't know i th- i tend to think of antibiotics as like you know in a city of a million people you've got 10,000 criminals and so we're just going to drop a nuke on the city (laughs) and hope we hope we knock out the 10,000 criminals and keep enough of the 1 million people alive that, you know, so it's like, it's like a really, yeah, it's a, it's a really sort of, um, brutal way of dealing with disease rather than Mm -hmm. a very, it's, it's not, it's not a knife. You're like whacking things with a hammer, you know, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe they create antibiotics to only go after certain things, but, the woman did say. The woman, the the health department official, did say Amy is her name. She did say that um, uh, that I could take some probiotics. You know, so I've started drinking drinking some kombucha in the evening. Okay. Uh, she did say that I can't drink any alcoholic drinks, uh, which was uh, a bit a bit weird. Like I was like, why? And she's like, well, this interacts with your liver. And she goes, and you'll notice that your tears may turn orange.
4: For real,
2: and yes, and not to get too gross, not to get too gross, but your your urine may be orange as well. And so, um, I was like, okay, well, so I met up with Ben on Friday, and I was like, I'm going to have a few beers, the last beers I'll have until Easter's.
4: And Lent early,
2: he he had like
3: 16 beers. It was ridiculous.
4: (laughs) I had a few
2: beers. (laughs) I had a few beers. I woke up the next morning, took the antibiotic, and I'm not kidding you guys. I was okay. You know the color of Mountain Dew. Yeah. Right. Imagine, yeah. imagine putting, imagine mixing one part blood and one part Mountain Dew together. Ew, that ew. was the color of my urine. Like it was soda. Bonkers. And I was like, Am I dying? <laughs> Is this death? Um. I think I had a little alcohol still in my system that morning. You know what I mean? It takes a while for the alcohol to leave your system. Anyway, the next two days. It's not been that crazy dark, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? But it's, I've, you know, you know, when you like, okay, so again, team, I, but you know, like that people tell you that if you're, if your urine is dark, you need to drink more water. Like you got to stay hydrated. Right, right. You have to pee yeah. clear, that kind of stuff. Yep. Well, I, there's no, there's no way for me to pee clear the next four months. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And I'm like talking to my liver. I find myself just giving my liver a little pep talk. Like, I know this is hard for you.
4: Yeah. Hey, I bunny, can tell. You're going to make it.
2: You're gonna
3: be, it's going to be okay.
2: I need you for this, okay? It won't be less. Don't poop out on me now. We got somebody at our church who's <laughs> awaiting a liver transplant, and I know I'd be at least second in line. So like I need you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Keep yeah. on
2: this. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going yeah. I'm I'm dealing with that and it's hard to talk about it because people I think most people are like, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" You know, because TB is like deadly. And I'm fine, you know, other than yeah. ADHD, PTSD, and uh being kind now of a jerk. TB. Yeah. Now TB. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. But uh, it is a little, it's just not something I thought I'd be dealing with this yeah. December.
3: It's sort It's sort of alarming, right? I mean, the last time I thought about TB before, I mean, uh, John Green, I follow him on Twitter. He's like this author, um, uh, young adult author. Um, and he does oh, some yeah. tuberculosis activism, actually. He's trying to make the drug uh, more affordable. Is like Johnson and Johnson. I think was like jacking up the price, especially in the, like uh, overseas, in Africa, and other places like that, where it's like a serious problem. Um, and he actually succeeded in getting them to reduce the price to make it more affordable. I don't know if it's the same drug. Good for him. Or if this, this is maybe antibiotics to, I don't know. I, I'm not. Remf, I'm not even sure, So I think I'm saying that right. Rimfampin is
2: what I'm taking. Okay.
3: Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, thanks, John. Um, Yeah, yeah. So John, John does that. But then the 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 time before that, the last time I thought about tuberculosis was when I uh, watched—is it the movie Tombstone, where Val Kilmer plays uh, Doc Holliday, who's dying slowly of tuberculosis? So that's that's immediately what I thought of when you were like, "I have TB." I was like, "Okay," like I I thought that was a old time problem. So no idea. So
4: my great grandmother died of TB. Really, and my grandma and my aunt both have it in their system because they were around her before she died. Okay. And so that it's like a real thing. Like they, you know, they had to take the, whatever you're doing to, um, Mm. and make sure that they're, they were protected. Now, since my grandma has passed away and my, my aunt is like, you know, 80, but, um, Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's like a real deal.
2: Yeah. This is, this is really, um, I don't know. I got the vaccine. So people have asked me, how did you, when you had the vaccine, right? And we know vaccines aren't hundred percent, um, at least at some vaccines aren't hundred percent, but I wonder if the vaccine is preventing it from being more than just latent, you know, I don't know.
4: Right. Yeah. I don't
2: know. I don't know how many that works. Again, if you work for the CDC, hit us up. Yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, us. We're not,
2: we're not virologists. So I'll be drinking a lot of kombucha and trying to stay hydrated, even though my urine tells me I'm not Uh, for the next four months. So if you think of it, pray for me.
3: Right on.
4: Okay. All right, y'all. Well, I gotta go get my kids off to school. Okay. So we are. <laughs> yes. We are introducing. Yes. Sorry. Uh, I just don't want them to be tardy. You know, they can only yeah, have so many that's tardies. Not, that's <laughs> no
3: good. Let's let's quickly get into this intro then. So we are talking with Scott McKnight today. This is part of our series on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott McKnight translated the New Testament, uh, a new translation of the New Testament called the Second Testament. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. It, it was basically the translation philosophy here is not to make it sort of easier to read, but actually make it stranger to allow us to understand like the strangeness of, you know, uh, Greek and like how different that is from English and, and sort of, um, yeah, it sort of makes the Bible the, I think the way we titled this episode was, you know, making the Bible weird again, Mm -hmm. um, so that we can hear it again. So, um, this is a translation that makes the new Testament, uh, weird, and a little bit clunky, um, but uh, for for good reason. It basically mm-hmm. allows us to sort of see what's there um, in some new ways. Rediscover so. it. Rediscover its yeah. weirdness again. Yeah, yeah. Rediscover the the weirdness of the Bible. So, um, so I'll, I'll just give you a quick uh, a quick example here. Um, this is from the uh, gospel passage for today in the um, in the daily office lectionary. Um, when Jesus enters the temple. So it just, just gives you a flavor for what this is like. Jesus entered into the temple and tossed out all the sellers and purchasers in the temple, and he tipped over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He says to them, it's written, my house will be called a prayer house, but you have made it a bandit's cave.
2: Oh, man. Anyway,
3: so it's yeah. kind of interesting, even like, like he says to them, like the present tense is there. And so I wonder, you know, how all that works. So anyway, I'm actually, uh, now that Advent has begun, welcome to Advent, everybody. Um, I have begun to read this, uh, for my kind of a regular scripture, um, reading. Mm -hmm. And then there's an old Testament, uh, version, uh, called the first Testament that John Golden Gay, uh, translated. So I'm reading that as well. And it's making my Bible reading weird again.
4: Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Nice. Uh, It's pretty fascinating. Anyway. Good.
2: Scott's yeah. always so, yeah. Scott's always up for a good. Uh, he's like a dude, and
3: I like yeah. I like I to hang out with Scott. Baseball. Yeah,
2: yeah. We, we just give each. I mean, we also kind of rouse each other a bit, you know. That kind of <laughs> yeah. relationship with Scott. It's nice. Yeah,
3: it's fun <laughs> to have Scott on. So this is uh, the fun little interview, and hopefully, this uh, contributes listener to your uh, enlightenment about mm-hmm. what what the what the heck the Bible is. All right, and how to read it. All right, here we go. Let's get into it.
2: Scott McKnight joins us once again on the Gravity Podcast. He's the Julius R. Manti Chair of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Lyle, Illinois, and the author of a lot of books, including (laughs) Reading Romans Backwards. Pastor Paul, the King Jesus Gospel, and a number of commentaries on James, Galatians, and Colossians, among others. He's the also the general editor of IVP's Dictionary of Paul and His Letters, 2nd edition, and he's recently written a new translation of the New Testament called the Second Testament, and we're talking about that with him today. Scott, welcome back.
5: Matt, good to see you. I don't know who all is on this podcast uh so I'll say hi to Ben and Christy as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. We know them for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. S- Scott, um middle of August. It looks like the Cubs were gonna do it. They're gonna make the playoffs. And then what what happened? What happened to America's what happened to God's team?
5: Matt, I have to tell you a story here that my son resigned from the Cubs. He did. He was with them for twenty years. And uh, after two year, after one year, he was offered an amazing job with the Cleveland Guardians, so we cheer for the Guardians. What? And oh, not what? the Cubs.
4: <laughs> no.
5: That is totally true. We change our teams as often as LeBron James. <laughs> Goodness.
2: Goodness. So the Cubs
5: – you know, the Cubs – I, I think the Cubs just had a, an unfortunate spell at the end of the year because that's a pretty good team. Yeah. And they lost, what, it was five, I think it was nine out of 11 or something like that at one point. Mm-hmm. And you just can't hang on at the end of the year like that. And that's too bad. It you know, is too bad. They gave up those runs in Atlanta. Wasn't it three games in a row they lost in Atlanta, two of them when they had good leads?
2: Yeah. And they played, you know, Atlanta and the Brewers down the stretch, who are both really good yeah. teams. So, yeah, they are
5: good teams. Yeah. yeah.
2: Played some great teams. You know, speaking of your son, Scott, um, I still remember that uh, Sammy Sosa story you told me, which we won't repeat here. And then I also, <laughs> I also
5: saw. That wasn't from him, though. He did not know that story. I learned that from another person.
2: Yeah, but you told me that. Anyway, um, but um, I saw a picture of you and your son playing golf recently. Yeah. How, how often do you get to play golf? Well,
5: uh, I play when Lucas or my grandson wants to play. I used to play at least once a week. For about over 15 years, I used to play with colleagues at North Park once a week. And then um, when I left North Park 10 years ago, I just didn't have a team of people to go with. Yes. So I haven't played much in the last five years. But we we played a wonderful course in Lake Geneva called the highlands last week uh, and it was really fun so that yeah. was good
2: there's there's like not many things that beat a, a gorgeous day on a beautiful golf course with people you that's, like. right. that's right um
4: well hey wait can i tell a story about my son since we're talking about sons and doing sure. stuff with them because sure. it has to do with scott so oh. my uh one of my sons turned 16 this year and scott when our kids turn 16 we do like a. Well, we're not Hispanic, but we have some Hispanic kids. So we do like a quinceanera type penly version, even if they're a boy. So like we just kind of mix it all together. And we do meaningful gifts by like meaningful people, purposeful gifts given by meaningful people. And the grandparents gave your book, the one we're talking about today, as their like meaningful gift to him for his 16th birthday. They all wrote in it and stuff. And it that's was awesome. good. That's yeah. cool.
5: That's that fun.
4: Is
0: cool. That is cool. It
4: was cute. So I was like, wait, Dad, do you really know this guy? I was like, yes, yes, we do. (laughs) Yes,
2: that's right. That's awesome. Well, Scott, you've written a lot on the New Testament. Um, Obviously, probably had studied uh, every single book of the New Testament before you decided to create this new translation. So maybe what went into the... Decision making to do this, and what do you what do you consider the unique offering that this translation brings?
5: Okay, this has to be explained. All right, Tom Wright wrote um, uh, he translated the New Testament. It became the Kingdom New Testament, but he did it for his Bible for everyone. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an updating originally of. William Barclay's famous uh, series that many, many people bought. And he translates it, and it, it's a wonderful translation. And then uh, they commissioned John Goldingay to do the Old Testament. Not so many people heard about that one, though. And John translated the Old Testament, but he translated the Old Testament in a significantly different way than Tom did the New Testament. So when it came out... I got the Bible for everyone. That was the first time I saw Golden Gay's translation. Mm-hmm. And I was reading it, and I thought, whoa, this is completely different than Tom Wright. Then InterVarsity published, um, because Zondervan owns the rights to Tom Wright's Kingdom New Testament. Mm-hmm. But Inter, um, but they didn't own the rights to John Golden Gay. So InterVarsity, IVP ac- academic, bought the rights to Golden Gate's translation of the Old Testament, which he called the First Testament, and they produced a beautiful volume of it. And I have now read it three times. And when I read it the first time, I thought, this is a completely different translation, and it will, for people who care about the Bible, it will give them a different experience reading the Bible. It won't Mm -hmm. be like It won't sound like you live in Indiana or Illinois, you know. It sounds like something like you've never sounded before. Mm -hmm. So when I was at uh, SBL maybe three or four years ago, I was talking to the main editor, and I said, his name is John. I said, John, those two translations don't belong together. Those are two completely different theories of translation. He said, what do you think should be done? I said, I think you ought to commission someone to translate the New Testament he said would you do it <laughs> well i had never thought of it and i said yeah i'll do that i'd love to i'd love to do that and it's so it, to me it's an ad, it's a it's not my theory of translation it's mm. a theory of translation designed to be compatible with golden gaze first yeah. testament that's why mine's called the second testament and its distinctiveness is let's say transliterated names, which is anti-colonialism in my opinion at some level. Mm-hmm. Is that it avoids yeah. making people's names our English equivalent. It right. it leaves yeah. them in their world, you know. So it's Johannes. it's not John. Right. And now John, of course, is an English name, but it also has a history. Um, and then it is uh, attempt to be let's say as little. Dynamic equivalence as is tolerable and still makes sense in English. And at times when people say to me, that verse was a little hard to understand, I say, yes, uh, that's a victory for me. I want you to feel what that Greek text actually feels like um, and what it it looks like. Now, of course, a Greek doesn't think it's hard to understand, but we do. But I want them to experience a little bit more what the Greek text is like. So that was... uh, i i tried to do for greek what john golden gate did for hebrew yeah. and it's not the same because hebrew is not greek
3: and now a word from a sponsor
0: this is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design the kind of experience you can only find in a lexus suv a feeling this empowering is invite only fortunately you're invited Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet
3: of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's get back into our conversation.
2: Just to give an example of this, Scott, and then um, before we go to the next question. Like there's there's this um translation that most of our listeners are used to that you mentioned in the introduction, like to prepare your minds for action. Yeah. This is first Peter one yeah. thirteen. But you you intentionally don't translate the sort of the Greek word picture. Would you just would you just give us what what do you translate that as? And then what are you hoping that kind of disturbance does for us?
5: Therefore, surrounding your mental waist with your robe, being sober, completely hope in the grace being carried to you at Jesus Christos' apocalypse. So, um, you know, I think they have like surrounding the, I'm not sure how the translations go. What did you have it as? What did you? Yeah, so the, N- the NRSV says, prepare your minds for action. Yeah. And NIV says, with your minds that are alert. Yes. It's all translating an image of... All right, now, there's two ways of looking at it, is that people wore, like, let's say, a robe or a tunic, and they had to pull it up uh, to their waist if they wanted to run. You can't run in a long dress very well, okay? Mm -hmm. Something like that. And if it's robish... Then you have to kind of also tuck it in and surround your waist. So I tried to give the image. I mean, if you really wanted to be a full image, it would be pull up the bottom of your robe and tuck it into the a belt around your waist. That's the idea. But the it's a metaphor for mental readiness. So it's all your mental waist is mm-hmm. the is the central idea. It's about the mind being prepared so those trans those dynamic equivalent translations are are fine they're good but they don't give the picture that yeah. the greek text gives so i tried to give the Greek the, the yeah. picture
3: yeah so maybe maybe a way of talking about this then is and i i've read you know bits and pieces of both the first testament and your second testament as well maybe a, for our listeners like the picture here is most translations will take the the image that's there in the Greek and give us the idea that the image is meant to convey, right? And so it's like, oh, what does that metaphor mean? Well, here we'll just give you that in English. And that might um make it easier for people to understand, you know, what that what that metaphor means, right? And wh- mm-hmm. what that what 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 it's doing there. But your translation, it seems like it seeks to um not make that jump and actually make it a little bit more strange for us to say here's yeah. the picture so i'm going to give you the actual picture in the language of the greek so it, you know in some ways it feels like it's making the bible strange again
5: yeah i think that's exactly what what yeah. i was trying to do and it's typical those are that what you talked about the normal translation is called a dynamic equivalent right so the idea is that here's the original language and here's the receptor language this is what this expression meant or intended to convey in that context. Mm. What is the equivalent dynamic uh, expression in this context? And that's considered faithful translation. And I, and I agree with that, uh, right. depending on context. But because of what Golden Gate did, I thought this is a different experience of the Bible. I wanna yes. try to do this for the New Testament. So I, I'm not really criticizing current translations right i'm providing a different way and i've been irritated by some of my friends who said well i don't agree with your theory well it's not about that it's about whether this theory is compatible with golden gay and whether this will give people a different sense of what the text says a, a different feel and that's what i'm trying to do so it's um it a lot of fun to do this. There's a lot of work too. There's a lot of work. Here's the, here's the hard part for me John Golden Gay did something that I thought was really important, and that is try to use the same English word for the same Greek word every time. Now, there are sometimes this is impossible, even like the word pistis, which is translated faith. Sometimes it means faith, sometimes it means trust. Sometimes it means the faith. Mm-hmm. If I just use trust, it won't work. It'll be, something you know, what's your, you know, this is the message of our trust. Well, that's, that just isn't going to work. So I did, I did flex, but I only flexed reluctantly, and if <laughs> I could be persuaded otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I try to use the same English word. And at times, this really works well. And at other times, I'm asking the readers some special forgiveness so that I can use that same English word. So yeah.
4: it's been fascinating hearing my son Soren read it and then be like, wait a minute, I thought I knew this verse. And then, like, goes yes. back to another translation, right? That he's like familiar yeah. with. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious for you, Scott, did you, what did you learn new? Like, what? what yeah. changed in your interpretation of a, a text in as you wrote this project were you surprised by anything
5: um well christy this is so true there's a, i bet 500 times i've read golden gay and said to myself i don't think i've ever read this verse before <laughs> and so i would go to my rsv or my nrsv to see what i had or the niv um but um okay so Um, One of the things I wanted to do was give a feel for the Greek quality of different authors because Matthew and Mark do not operate at the same level as Luke in the book of Luke and Acts. John operates differently. Uh, Even Paul's letters, they're not all alike. The pastoral epistles is is significantly different than the, let's say, Romans and Galatians. And Revelation is different. Jude is in another world. Second um, Peter is like that. So I wanted to be literal enough that people could um, feel different authors. It, it's a little, it's a little difficult. It's a little different to make that happen as easily as you want it to happen. Um, but at the same time, I think if someone reads, let's say, the whole of Matthew at once. And then the whole of Luke, they'll feel the distinctness of each author. But if they're reading a passage a day, a page a day, it's it's just not going to happen. Surprises. I was surprised how challenging the Greek is in the second half of the book of Acts. Mm. And I've talked to scholars who are Acts scholars, Luke Acts scholars. And I said, "Have you translated the whole book of Acts?" And I have not found one person yet who has. Uh, now I'm sure Craig Keener has. I, I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> him, I haven't asked him this question, but uh, but I'm 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 really surprised by the number who haven't. So Acts uh, was was a lot of fun for me, uh, and and mm. seeing how how the language worked with him. So, uh, but. Mm. You know, because I've been uh, teaching the New Testament for so long, there weren't um, stunning surprises uh, to me. It was just the daily um, absorption in the text. Um, I'll tell you one that really irritates me, though, is the NIV can't get the word ergon, work, works. Uh, They have a nervous habit. And it's it's a theological bias that when yeah. erga works is negative, they translate it as works, and when it's positive, they translate it as deeds. Mm-hmm. And it, in my opinion, it destroys the continuity between good works and good deeds. That uh, yes. that we all we're all called to do good works. Well, now you can't do good works in the NIV. You have to do good deeds, <laughs> uh, and I don't think that I don't think that's good. Yeah. I uh, I, tr- I tried yeah. some things that were a little bit um, edgy. John mm-hmm. is not John the Baptist, but John the Dipper, because uh, because the, <laughs> the Greek word baptizo means to uh-huh. dip, sure. and yeah. Um, yeah. I translated the Empire of God rather than the Kingdom of God. I don't yeah, think kingdom yes. means a whole lot in English to most people. No. Yeah. Um, but no. when I use the word empire, I think people go, whoa, 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 that's that's a little yes. strong, strange and strong. And that's what I want to do. And Christy, what, you're, what you said happened in your family is exactly what I want. People, I want people to say, "Well, I'm not sure I agree with this." So they go to another translation. Well, that's a win for me. Is that I've I've got people thinking about what that text means. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the desire. Yes. To slow down, and um, yeah. Of course, I'm defamiliarizing people with the translations as well. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's actually that's actually uh, necessary work. You know, it's sort of the way we see people in the New Testament learn about the kingdom of God and Jesus is they have to slow down and ask questions mm-hmm. and get disoriented. So in some ways, your translation is doing very much what the eternal word did in his earthly ministry, Scott. Well, <clears throat> let's have some fun here. Um, I'm curious to ask specific decisions that you made and then to speak into the... Larger ramifications of those decisions. So let's take Philippians 3.8. Everybody's <laughs> favorite uh, curse word, Paul oh. passage. I'll read it. I'll read it for no, you. Okay, no.
3: I'll read your translation. Right, this, is, this is Scott's translation? Okay. All
2: right. This is Scott's translation. I consider all matters, this is Paul, to be a forfeit because of the higher status of knowing Christos Jesus, my Lord, because of whom I have forfeited all matters, and I consider them to be feces, so I may gain Christos. All right, so many interpreters here, Scott, as you know, uh, consider Paul to have cursed, used a, used a word uh, that is probably, they would say, should be translated shit. Uh, this word, skubala. So two questions here. Why didn't you give a shit here, Scott? <laughs> And two, <laughs> and two, maybe more ethically, pastorally, what does Paul's use of words like this mean for our language decisions today? What can we? What conclusions can we? All write? right.
5: So this was in the right. in the lectionary this week. So I'm glad that you uh, you're paying attention to this. Uh, as you know, as Episcopalians, you would have gotten caught up <laughs> into this text, perhaps. All right. So all right. So um, I was prepared. To use um, a less finessed word for scuba, uh, so uh, I don't I don't think university uh, IVP academic would have permitted "shit" as the translation. <laughs> uh, but if, you know they they would have they would have loved to have uh, gotten negative press because it would have sold a lot of copies to people probably, who were yeah, looking, look, looking for junk. <laughs> uh, but here's here's the thing. So there is a there's a long chapter of a guy that Mike Bird put me on to. I think it was Bird. So I checked out the book, ordered an interlibrary loan, and it it demonstrated that this word scuba law, does not belong to the register of vulgarity, but to a register of medical mm-hmm. words. It's mm-hmm. it's much more oh, okay. frequent in medical words. Interesting. So I thought, what's a good medical equivalent, you know?
0: Uh,
5: excrement, feces, I, those I kinds of things. I did think of excrement. I thought of, I thought of that. But that's yeah. here's one of the things. My editor uh, is really clever. He said, use shorter words, not longer words. Yeah. So that those were my two conclusions, excrement or feces. And I thought, feces is sh- the shorter word. I'll use feces. Yeah. So that's the process. So, so, then, so, all
2: right. Then we can't really draw ethical conclusions then from yeah. using vulgarities from a medical Yeah.
5: Term. I mean, Paul was snarky in the book of Acts when he smarted off to the high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul is, you know, in that same passage, you know, it's not in the lectionary. Paul is pretty harsh on people in at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, calling them dogs. Dogs, yeah. Uh, so there's, um, I think that um, in this in this passage, Paul uses a graphic term that everybody would have connected to and thought, "Ooh, that's pretty serious stuff." And so I think that there's a time to use a word that would shock the audience into attention. Yes. And I think that I think we could learn that. That's that's good okay. writing. To do that is to use a word yeah. that stuns stuns people, uh, grabs their attention. Says, "Ooh, I I didn't know I would think of it that way."
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, dogs and excrement. Other places, he says people should cut off their marriage tackle. You know, this is this that's is a, language of somebody.
5: That's the dynamic <laughs> equivalent. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, I have one well, more, you, and then you maybe see Christy what I call this paragraph Incisionist, circumcisionist and rightness
2: uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk let's talk uh, just peculiar verses. I don't know if you've ever had a life verse, Scott, when you were a young youth grouper or if you ever picked a life verse, but i I often kind of poke fun at these things, and I say that uh, depending upon my mood. Either Titus 1.12 or 1 Corinthians 14.18 are my life verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.18 is, I praise God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, uh, which I just think is a funny, cheeky way to uh, boast at other people's expenses. (laughs) But uh, but Titus 1.12, your translation, and I'll include the beginning of 13 as well, is some one of them, one of their own prophets, said, Cretans are always falsifiers, bad beasts, workless guts. (laughs) This witness is true. All right, so here's my question, Scott. Um, I think verses like this give people trouble, right? Especially if you're from Crete. <laughs> uh, help us understand how you conceive of, maybe we can talk like inspiration here in places like this. What, how, how, do you, how, does this how does this vert fit into your understanding of God-inspiring humans to write divinely inspired texts.
5: On the island of Crete in the city of Heraklion, that's the main port city. They have a beautiful church dedicated to Titus. So they weren't that bothered by this (laughs) (laughs) verse. They got over it. It, And I have... um, we, I was with a tour group of students, and we took over a chapel which is supposed to be public, and the door is supposed to be open. And we shut the door. We we kind of pretended like we were in charge. And I gave a little lecture on the life of Titus in that room. It was pretty fun. Um, all right, this is this is something that uh, is pretty important to me. I think our view of the Bible has to be connected to what the Bible is rather than what we want it to be. Okay, so here's, here's, my, here's my standard example. I hate the story of Jephthah in the book of Judges, all right? He, you know, it, it finishes, he does to his daughter yeah. according to his vow, which is a nice little indirection of murder, okay? Slaughters, offers her as a sacrifice, pretty gross terrible, barbaric. It bothers me even more that the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 uh, lionizes Jephthah. Okay? All right? That's our Bible. That's how I, I read that and I go, really? And I think that's part of what Scripture reading is. It is part of what Jews do with the Bible. Rabbis, they're always kind of discussing things and going back and forth. I don't know about this. and I. They didn't have this sort of magical, ethereal, idealistic theory of Scripture. Uh, they recognized human authorship and divine communication in, at the same time. Um, so th- they're not bothered by the fact that Exodus says you cannot boil the Passover lamb. And Deuteronomy says, "Boil the Passover lamb." They they don't find that to be. They think, "Well, oh, that's kind of fun. We got it here and we got it here." Uh, they're not. And so I believe that we we have to construct a theory of Scripture that is based on what we actually encounter in Scripture. And when we look at a text and we go, "It's cringeworthy," yeah. that's okay. I think that's a legitimate response to the text. The murderous actions of Jewish harem warfare, I think, are cringeworthy. And if we don't have that view of the Bible, then we end up concocting a reading that ordinary people look at it and you go, you must be paid to do this to come up with that kind of reading because that's not the way I'm experiencing this text. And I think yes. that yes. honesty and transparency about these texts is the way to come to the true sense of what Scripture actually does. Mm.
2: Yeah. That's a good word. That is a good word. So can I or can I not call somebody I don't like a workless gut? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
5: I think that you probably should be very careful where you use it because (laughs) labels, uh, you know, Jesus used a lot of labels and uh, labeling is a very, it's been studied a lot in scholarship about how labels work. Labels um, sort of create boundaries between groups and they identify people and you get identified yourself by the way you talk about other people. And calling people names was very common in the Jewish world. It's so. It's all the literature does this, mm. and it's a way of distinguishing yourself from others. So, um, today we find this to be. You know, I grew up. My mother taught me all the time: sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's it's utterly foolish to say that, <laughs> because words do hurt. Yeah. yeah. So. I look at that kind of language, and I think, you know, Paul, that's that's you in your day. Uh, we don't do that anymore. So I don't think, I don't like it when the, I'll use some of your friends, Tabby, some of your gospel, some of the gospel coalition people say, <laughs> say that, well, Jesus yes. talked this way or Paul talked this yeah. way, so we're going to too. No, yeah. I don't think that's a proper approach. Yeah. Um, they also wore sandals in dust, and they also uh, right. didn't ever use deodorant, and they also didn't comb their hair, right. and all that sort of thing. So we we don't I don't think that's the way to approach it. I think it is to say uh, this was the way those people spoke in that day, and we, yeah. we we need to pay attention to how we use these kinds of words. Yeah.
2: Yes. Although if you're thoroughly consistent and you want to wipe your butt with your left hand, then maybe you get a dispensation that's right. yeah. to use. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you got to go all yeah, in that's right. on I that use modern argument.
3: Plumbing? Uh, you, know. you got to go all in or <laughs> else it's just trying to justify. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: We'll be right back.
3: The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. Maybe we can ask another question, translation question. I think that's um, interesting about, um, about, yeah, your translation. Um, you chose to translate what we normally see in most translations, the word apostle. Um, you translated that as commissioner. Um, had, for example, Romans 16, 7, which says this, greet Andronicus, Andron- Andronicus, Andronicus, I guess is maybe how you pronounce it. Greet Andronicus and Unia my relatives and my co-prisoners who are distinguished in the commissioners and who were in Christos before me. I wonder, Scott, what the significance is for you of using the word commissioner instead of apostle. And then, um, you know, help us understand what Paul is and isn't saying about unia here. Hmm. Andronikos. Okay,
5: Andronikos. so. All right, here, uh, The Greek word apostolos, we translate apostle, and that is a religious term. Um, Today. Yeah. Yeah. It it is. It's a special term. It's a title. Right. That word was not a title like that. Um, And the Hebrew word shaliach, it means someone who has been sent. And this is an official sending, and official sent ones are called commissioners. So every time that word shows up, it's, you know, when it shows up at the beginning of letters, people go, "Ah, that's weird, I've never thought of Paul as a commissioner. He was a commissioner. He was commissioned. It's a longer word than I wanted to use, but I couldn't find a shorter word as an equivalent. So, um, but it functions in the way commissioners work that... uh, let's say in the political world in the um, economic world people have been commissioned to do some they've been officially uh sent by an organization an institution to represent someone that's what the word means okay unia unia is a is a is a name for a woman and in the history of the church unia was changed to unius, unias, uh, because there was a conviction that this person was actually an apostle who are distinguished in or among the apostles or the commissioners. So Mm -hmm. therefore, it couldn't have been a female. So therefore, we'll invent a male's name. So uh, they changed... I I guess you could say this, Uh, they changed the sex or the gender of this woman to a man to make her suitable for a Christian understanding of of an apostle or a commissioner. Mm -hmm. But over time, and this was especially the case, you know, in the Reformation area, over time, people began to realize that, number one, the word junius, unius, never appears as a male's name. So now you got a non-existent male in the New <laughs> Testament. And eventually, and it really wasn't until 1979, I believe, was the date, although it was recognized from the beginning of the 20th century, that Unia was a better reading and not Unius, And then I think it was in 1979 that the... Um, standard Greek text put Unia in the text and demoted unius. And um I think that the best ones don't even mention unius, Junius. And I think it's even right for an Anabaptist pacifist to slay a non existent male.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't exist anyway.
5: That's right. That's yeah. right. So yeah. you can yeah. you can kill People who don't exist, uh, males. So it, it, is a, it is an unfortunate reality that in the history of the church, uh, there was such a conviction that this person was an apostle that it could not have been a woman, so therefore we'll change it to a man. What is now interesting is that there are a lot of people who are questioning whether this person was actually an apostle because it's a woman. So now it's flipped the other way. It couldn't be, because it's a commissioner or an apostle, it couldn't be a woman. Now, because it is a woman, it can't be a commissioner, an apostle. It's got (laughs) to be on the part, you know, um, in other words, distinguished by the commissioners. Mm -hmm. You know, the Greek word is in, uh, and it means in. It could mean by, but uh, everybody knows that St. Chrysostom um, made the statement in the fourth century, uh, maybe it was the late third century, I know it was the fourth century. The Chrysostom said uh, that this was a woman who was uh, esteemed among the apostles. Mm-hmm. So, as an as an apostle, so yeah, um, yeah that Unia is a woman who's an apostle in the first century, and they are yeah. sh- they are relatives of the apostle paul
3: so much for the plain reading huh
5: yeah
3: there is a plain read- reading
5: but plain readings work fine uh, as long as it's plain
3: <laughs> yeah yeah i guess my 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 thought is uh people really th- like the idea of the plain reading until it goes against their assumptions yeah, about who can right. be an apostle and sure. then it's like well that can't be what that can't be what paul means
5: I used to always say to my students when I was teaching at North Park, I don't think I've said it at Northern so much, is it's in your Bible and it's in mine. It's right there. Read it. That's what it says. That's that. Mm-hmm. That's at times you can make. It's pretty plain readings. You know, there's yeah. some. But other times there's yeah. complexities.
3: Absolutely.
4: Well, Scott, can you help us? You use books. Uh, bold like bolded text in romans first corinthians um as you translated this can you tell us uh what the bolded text indicates and why did you choose to do that um what were you trying to help us see that we wouldn't that we'd otherwise miss
5: okay yeah the bold text and uh, the publisher the, the publisher was very patient with me because i wanted to do all kinds of things With translations that they did not think would work, Uh, and when you have two columns, um, you know, even indention, uh, let's say, uh, what do they call them? Block texting gets really confusing. But I tell them all the time, you just look at the quotation, the quotation marks of John Goldengate's translation, and you got two and three and four and five levels of quotations, and it gets really goofy. Okay. One of the things that I observed, Christy, in working on a book on Romans called Reading Romans Backwards is the stunning number of questions that the Apostle Paul asks in Romans 2 through 4 and 9 through 11, 10, something like that. A little bit after that, but, and some of this stuff occurs in 1 Corinthians. And then following those questions, Paul answers his questions. So I see Romans 2 through 4. I put the questions in bold font to give people a sense that Paul is asking these questions and then he's going to answer these questions. I believe these are the types of questions Paul was asked in his mission work among Jewish believers or among Jews and Jewish believers who became believers, and then they wanted to know, well, do we practice the law? And they were asking on the behalf of their family, because no, now, do can I eat pork, you know? And pork's not bad, but shrimp, uh, what's the problem here? This is really good, and, and we can have this sort of thing. So, it's a question and answer feel that happens with uh, the bold face in, in my translation, and I hope— to give people a feel for how this is working rhetorically, uh, so that that's what that was about. The publisher was, we we really struggled getting this right, but I I haven't found a mistake with it yet, but I'm sure I will. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was well, really this, this was really difficult for editing for me because it's my translation, I and I'm not an editor, I'm an author, and so. Yeah. I don't read the way editors read proof texters. The problem with the editors at Intervarsity was they have to let my words go because they're not editing my text. They are just, and they don't know. You know, they do know Greek and Hebrew, but they're not going to look at the Greek and Hebrew or the Greek for this New Testament. Uh, they're not going to look at the Greek all the time. It just takes forever. Uh, it took me um, four months to go over my translation mm-hmm. And when I knew at the end that uh, we were crunched a little bit for time, I thought it's not work because I'm not a very good editor. I'm going to read this and I'm going to miss all kinds of things and uh, so I um, we're finding we're finding some mistakes and the great thing about digital world is you can correct them so.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You you know, you mentioned already Tom Wright's translation, and then pretty soon around, or right around that time, David Bentley Hart yeah. released yeah. his New Testament translation with his fascinating apparatus <laughs> that he wrote. Um, fascinating. But, uh, but Scott, uh, one of the best things that happened to both Tom Wright and David Bentley Hart is that they went after each other in subsequent articles. I don't oh, know yeah. if you remember really. that. So I'm just... I'm just praying somebody really hates your translation, you know, and gives you the attention that they
5: gave each other. Yeah. I don't know of that happening. I mean, I haven't. Um, here, here, it's an interesting thing. Is I read that debate. Those, those two, David Bentley Hart. They were fascinating yeah, that's debates. That's right. David they? Bentley Hart likes polemics, and Tom's not afraid to back. He's not afraid to stand up for stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, David Bentley Hart's translation is really, when I first came out, I thought, I really like this idea, what he's doing. I got really annoyed by all the uses of and for Kai. If you're going to use a period, you can't use and, because the chi in Greek is virtually a period uh, in English. That's the equivalent. So that was part of it, but I found, I and it bothered me, I found a lot of mistakes in Hartley's uh, David Bentley Hart's translation and uh, it bothered me when I found I, I got irritated with him at times, but it bothered me thinking this is going to happen to me too and uh, you know Tom had he had someone they SBCK paid someone to go through his whole translation. He told me they found two or three verses that he had not even translated. Oh, wow. you know he just skipped this that's the way text critics works. Uh, you know you you, you skip can't. things and yeah. so this person found That's that and they made a lot of corrections and then they had a lot higher level of uh, a lot a lot st- a stronger sense of editing at, at times uh, oh, I had yeah. I had it's interesting I had three editors but two wonderful editors um, Anna Gissing Kissing and Rachel Hastings and I just thought they did a wonderful job and you know I take responsibility for every mistake that we find little glitches and one time it, mm. it has the word form and it means fr- it's supposed to be from and oh, you man. know and you go oh uh, it's just the <laughs> yes. you know and it what bothers me is this is the bible this isn't a book yeah. this is the bible <laughs> right right people are reading it carefully and we have a guy named Adam who's been writing he sent me about a dozen little glitches that he's found and they're they're not real big ones like Jesus, yeah, with a apostrophe, not an extra S, stuff like that. But he's finding them. <laughs> and the editor at university said, maybe we should hire him to be an editor. He's doing such a good job. It's really, really difficult. That was hard. Yeah.
2: It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Well, I heard that Hart's putting out a second edition. It, it, it's already it's out, from things. what I've heard. It's out. I I oh, don't okay. have a copy right. of it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, I uh, I appreciate the work you've done uh, in this translation. And anytime I'm using, anytime I'm doing sermon prep, I'm using NRSV and CEB. But then I I I all, and when it's New Testament, I always go to right and heart, And now I'll go to yours as well, just to see what what these translations don't show us, or maybe what's been yeah, what's hidden good. or what needs to be seen. So yeah. I just appreciate. Well, thank that. you.
5: Yeah. Um, I'm a big NRSV fan. I started with the RSV in college. I went to the NRSV and I especially liked it when the nonsense people got mad that it was inclusive translation. So, yeah. Uh I thought, come on. Leave this alone. So then the, uh yeah. I'm, I'm I'm now using the NRSV updated
3: edition. Yeah. So updated
2: yeah. edition, yep. Yeah. yeah, Ben, did you hear that he took another shot at my Gospel Coalition friends? Yep. Yeah, And That's uh good. That was, that was right.
3: expert-level trolling of Matt, by the way, so thank you, Scott.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you were, you were sharing before we hit record what you're working on now. It's a book on Jesus and the Pharisees. You want to say a, a bit about yeah,
5: that? Um, I've been um, on a life journey trying to purge myself of—I I don't think it's anti-Semitism and even anti-Judaism. It's just an inaccurate understanding of Pharisees. Nice. And uh, I learned about this in my PhD days by reading E.P. Sanders and um, the New Perspective and, and trying to see Judaism in a different way. But um, over the years, I've, I, I, what I've found in myself is I, I make a strong point that we've got to treat the Pharisees correctly. And the next thing I know, I have said something that actually uses them as a foil uh, mm-hmm. where they don't need to be a foil. Right. Uh, in other words, Amy Jill Levine is my prophet on this. She says, Jews don't have to look bad to make Jesus look good. Mm. Uh, and uh, and we do this all the time. So I have found over the years that um, I've made mistakes on this, and this is my attempt to get the record straight, as straight as I can get it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm trying to... Um, Present a wider, bigger view of who the Pharisees are and how they work. It's called strategic field theory. If you construct a field, Jesus and the Pharisees, in a sense, are are sort of uh, competing for the same audience. And it, yes. and so, how did uh, what were the Jesus's strategies? what were the strategies of the Pharisees and scribes and why are they always connected to scribes and sometimes Herodians and why do they come from Jerusalem and what is their relationship to the temple authorities and Caiaphas and the family of Annas and pa- Pontius Pilate and Antipas. So I'm working a, a, a wider lens on, on the Pharisees and Jesus uh, as he builds what I call the kingdom coalition. So
2: yeah. Well, we'll have you back on to chat about yeah. that, but, but real quick, 30 seconds. We had a rabbi on, and she said Jesus was a Pharisee in the school of, was it Hillel? Hillel versus Shammai.
4: Yeah.
2: I think she said, she said he was a Hillel Pharisee. This is why he reserved his harshest critique and rhetoric for them, and he argued with them all the time, and this was normal Jewish stuff. And, they, and, and uh, what say you, Scott? Was Jesus... A well,
5: no, I don't think he was a Pharisee. I think he was critical, but he was within that game. He's playing the same game of what's the proper interpretation of the law of Moses for the people of God, for the crowds, for the ordinary person. So he's yeah. um, he didn't see them as uh, enemies in that sense. They were competing for the same crowd, but they differed. And so and it's a standard sociological thing isn't it that the people that we are most vehement in disagreement with are people who are closest to us because they're going to yes. they they rob us of our identity so yes, yes he was close to them
2: yeah all what i take away from that comment scott is you confessing that you really are close to the Gospel Coalition. The book, again, is called The Second Testament, A New Translation. Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. And thank
5: you for your affirmation of the Gospel Coalition so often. (laughs) Y'all,
2: Scott's a lot of fun.
3: Yes. He yep.
4: He's a good man too. Yes. Like I really like him.
2: I appreciate how um, he is able to pivot between being really serious and being really silly, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that needs to be celebrated more in our culture.
3: You know. He's yeah. the real deal. Yeah. He's a good guy.
2: Yeah. And and uh, you know, in terms of like teaching the New Testament, thinking about the New Testament, you know, he's published a commentary on almost every book in the new Testament at this point now a translation. Um, and I, I, I want to reflect, I, I, he sounded a lot like Chris green when he shared about what to do with like the texts that bother us. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He sounded a
2: lot like our conversation been with Chris.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You were not on that one. Were you Christine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, it was close to the beginning of this series where, um, yeah, I think that, 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 Just so, I think it can't be said often enough for people, um, because a lot of us grew up in an environment where it was not considered faithful to have a problem with the Bible or have a problem with something the text says God did, and think, well, that's terrible, right? Um, Yeah, it was just like you could never, you could never even have that immediate reaction, Um, and so I appreciated him sharing that. That's. Like if we're going to find out how God is speaking to us through this story, we have to be willing to deal with the story and our reactions to the story. Like that's part of how I think the Bible works is that there's this conversation that we can begin to have with God about the events that are conveyed in this text. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, you you mentioned uh, sermon prep. Um, But one of the things I was, I'm thinking I'm going to do with Golden Gay's translation and Scott's translation is I I pick a different translation like every year, like the liturgical year that starts in Advent Mm -hmm. for the daily readings that I, that I, that I read every day in the Bible. Um, I pick a translation. And so this year it's the Common English Bible, uh, which is a very good modern dynamic equivalent translation. Um, But I think I'm going to do Golden Gay and McKnight next year. Mm -hmm. Just read their, good their texts. Yeah. So I think it'll be fun to, cool. to make the Bible weird for from every day. The Bible will be weird for me again. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that.
2: I hadn't even yeah. uh, heard of Golden Gate's translation, so uh, yeah. I might have to check it out.
3: It's very it's very good. Yeah, it's similar. It it feels similar, very similar to McKnight's. Obviously, he modeled it on Golden Gate's uh, translation of the Old Testament. But I've I've. Consulted it several times, you know, when I'm doing sermon prep, or sometimes just when I'm reading, and I'm curious, you know, how something got translated, and especially in the Hebrew, there's so much more. I think there's like a lot of more ambiguity mm-hmm. in how to like create English text out of yes. these Hebrew words yes. that often Golden Gate's translation like is delightfully strange. I'm just like, what in the world is going on here? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and the yeah. names are all unfamiliar. You know, because he uh, he does the same thing. He transliterates the Hebrew names rather than <clears throat> translating them into their sort of English equivalents. And so I don't even so half the time I'm like, who is who is this? I can't even figure out who this is. But yep. it makes the Bible it makes the Bible feel so fresh and like I don't know this text mm. as well as I thought I did.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so. I got to get out of here, guys, because I got to take my son to the gym. <laughs> That's
4: up.
3: great.
2: That's yeah, great. he's working out these days, liked, and he like he likes out. he, like he likes dad. He likes to go with dad to the gym. But uh, that reminds me, did you guys hear about the superhero with a lisp who always works out?
4: No, tell us. He's Thor. <laughs> but um. <laughs> <Ba-dum. laughs> terrible.
0: All right, there you have it, folks. All right.
4: there you have it. see you.
2: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful
3: or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join.
4: You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
2: Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebbe. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com.
3: We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button.
4: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.